Welcome back, everyone. This is Eric Ellison with the Digital Education Podcast. I'm always excited when I have the opportunity to talk to um, a long-term school leader, uh, somebody who has done significant work and has done the job in many ways over a, a course of a professional lifetime. And I'm really excited to talk to Pablo Munoz today, who was a superintendent, but I'm going to let him talk about his career, superintendent, teacher, educator, but he's he's more recently, and where we're going to spend most of our conversation on is on his new book, The Leader's Algorithm, How, per, How a Personal Theory of Action Transforms Your Life, Work, and Relationships. And it's a great book for school leaders who are in the job and even future school leaders, but we'll get into the book a little bit later. But Pablo, do a really, really poor job on the introduction because your <laughs> life has been full of really amazing things in education and even beyond education. But help us make sense of your background and what brought you to this point in time to write this book. Well, Eric, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to to be on your show and to be able to uh, talk a little bit about my career and, and the book and, and all the questions you may have for me so that the audience can get a sense of uh, what, what's been done and what's possible and, 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 and learn from uh, the victories and also the, the, the defeats. Um, I was born, raised and educated in Elizabeth, New Jersey. It's for those uh, around the world, that's about 16 miles southwest of New York City, so pretty close there. Elizabeth, if you've ever flown into Newark Liberty International Airport, part of that airport is on uh, Elizabeth ground, so that's where I grew up and was educated. Uh, last 26 years, I've lived in Maplewood, New Jersey, and so uh, still pretty close to Elizabeth. Um, my parents are from Aguada, Puerto Rico. They immigrated here as teenagers, and uh, and they had me and my younger sister. And uh, my father uh, has an eighth grade education, and my mom has a sixth grade education. And my dad, for the most part, worked in the restaurant business, made his way through uh, from dishwasher to, to head cook of a banquet hall. And my mom initially started working in factories, but eventually uh, ended up being uh, a seamstress. So both of them were in fairly low-paid jobs. Uh, I lived in a house uh, with my maternal grandmother, uh, mom, dad, my sister, my aunt, and my three cousins. My dad's one of 15 children, and my mom's one of five. So uh, by our last count that we did a few weeks ago when we were driving, mom and dad and I, uh, I, I think I have about 70 first cousins. So a fairly large family. And, and quite frankly, because of that, my 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 kind of friendship circle really was was my family because we were always traveling to their houses or going to the parks together. Uh, I graduated from Elizabeth High School. Uh, I played baseball uh, for most of my life uh, and uh, and and through college. I have a, a bachelor's degree from Yale University in psychology. And while I was there, I also did the teacher preparation program. So I student taught at Wilbur Cross High School in New Haven. And at, and also at the time I volunteered as a pitching coach on, on the baseball team. Um, I also, when I became 
a teacher working full time, I also continued being a, a coach. So I've coached at all levels from little league with my two daughters uh, all the way through uh, the minor leagues uh, for the Chicago Cubs as a pitching coach. I got my master's degree from Teachers College, Columbia University in Educational Administration. And I did my career for the most part back in my at my uh, public where I grew up in, in the Elizabeth Public Schools. I started as a teacher of social studies. Then I became the supervisor of social studies. I was director of curriculum instruction, assistant superintendent. And then in 2005, I became the superintendent of schools. I did that for about eight and a half years. And then I moved to another uh, city school in New Jersey called Passaic. And I did that for seven and a half years. And then I retired in 2021 and immediately started working uh, on my next uh, stage of life where I established an educational and leadership consulting company. I'm an adjunct professor at Lehigh University and part of what we're gonna to discuss today, I became an author and I wrote The Leader's Algorithm. And I'll end that part by saying I'm also a proud dad of two daughters, uh, Cecilia, who's 22, and she actually started her work career yesterday. Uh, and Sadie is a uh, first year at uh, Northeastern University, and she's actually in London doing her first year. Uh, so very proud of my my two my two daughters. So that kind of gives you a picture of where I came from, what I did, and where I, where I am today. Pablo, amazing, and and there's I, I I find so much in common with you. And in the book, you write a lot about faith, family, and baseball which all resonate with me in so many ways. Um, I had the opportunity to work for the Chicago White Sox, so I won't hold it against you and grew up on, on the South, you know, West and Southwest side of Chicago. So it was a White Sox fan, not a Cubs fan, but I love, I love the conversations and even, even the life experience that you pull out in the book. But one of the things I'm really interested in, the book is called the leader's algorithm. And I was thinking about like algorithm and what that means and I looked it up, definition, a process or set of rules to be followed in calculations or other problem-solving operations. And so when, when you chose, just start us with that place, when you chose the word algorithm for your book, what were you thinking and what were you hoping that other leaders would take from kind of this idea? Because you do lay out that, that equation of you know, in the, in the first chapter, the leader's algorithm is, you know, the personal theory of action plus execution plus accountability equals transformation. So give us that idea of how this algorithm fits and then what you're hoping that people will take from this. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Uh, great question. Um, well, there's a, there's essentially two algorithms in 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 the book. Uh the largest scope of the book is really an educational leadership book. And it's really about providing the reader a leadership framework to follow. Where the algorithm comes in is exactly what you uh, told, just said, that the leader's algorithm is, uh, is an equation. Uh, and, and, and basically, it's a simple equation that, that puts strategic thinking to work, right? You write and then you share your personal theory of action. Then you don't leave it as a theory. You actually execute your personal theory of action and then you uh, do it consistently with public accountability. And if you do that, then 
uh, you will transform your, your life, work, schools, school districts, and relationships. Um, the main reason I wrote the book was uh, to help, in one word. Um, I wanted to help aspiring new and current school administrators. And the way that I do that in the book is uh, two, two ways. One, uh, the vision for the book was to share what I learned from my 30-year journey in public education, 16 years of that as the superintendent of schools. I wanted to share what I learned from my advocates and my mentors. I wanted to share what I learned from the Broad Academy. And I wanted to share what I learned from my book mentors, all the books and all the case, case studies that I read about leadership and management and teaching and learning uh, from, from authors that mostly I, I never met. And then the second uh, way this is uh, uh, the, the, the creation of this book was hopefully, hopefully uh, aspiring and new and current administrators uh, read the book and then use it to create their own leadership framework and strategy to lead and manage their school districts. The sec so that brings us to the second equation, the second algorithm that's in the book. And that's the personal theory of action. And that's the heart and soul of the book. And it's the heart and soul of the leader's algorithm equation. And again, it's, you know, it's a mathematical uh, if-then proposition. So, uh, so, so what is a personal theory of action? It's really a hypothesis that uh, certain actions, well, let me take a step back. Well, what is a theory of action? Then I'll tell you what a personal theory of action is. So a theory of action is that is a hypothesis that certain actions, your actions and your team's actions will lead to certain results. Said another way, right? Here's the algorithm. If we do A, B, and C, then we will get results. We will get X, Y, and Z results. So that's the broader concept of a theory of action. Uh, but what is a personal theory of action? And so it is also a hypothesis. But in this case, it's what you personally can do and what you can do through your team to achieve your goals. And it's written, like I said earlier, in a logical chain of if-then statements that lead you to your ultimate goal. And in most times, uh, when we get to the then statement, the ultimate goal is usually your mission statement or you're paraphrasing your mission statement. And so I use both of these algorithms, both of these equations, uh, in a written form that that wrote out a lot of strategic uh, actions that I would take, I used my personal theory of action in both school districts as my leadership framework and strategy that I used to lead and manage uh, those two school districts. So, so what do you say? Two things, right? Because it's super interesting. Because I don't, I, I think sometimes, like in my work, and when I get to um, talk to talk to school leaders, but then even talk to educators, there's there's this innate idea of we kind of know, or there's something that that like this is why I do it, but it's not always stated. 
and it's not always stated in the if then, right? You know, if this is what I believe and if this is what I care about, then here's how it will go. What would you say, maybe two pieces of advice, what would you say to that, you know, kind of leader who's in, you know, a school, uh, an educator who's in a school in leadership that maybe hasn't sat down and thought through this? And then what would you say to the young leader or would they even be different? What would you say to the to the young educator who might still be in the classroom that says, hey, you know what, like I, I want I, I, I love my classroom, but uh, there might be something else out there for me to have bigger impact in my school. What, what would you say as people to them to give them advice to create and develop and clarify their personal theory of action? Yeah, so the, the, there's uh, two bodies of, of folks there. Um, uh, so what's important uh, in the book, in the first chapter, which is defining the theory, uh, the, the leader's algorithm, right? I spent some time sharing with you uh, what it is, and then I teach you how to write one. So that's critically important for both groups, both the the the, the new administrator and the current administrator, and then the aspiring administrator. Uh, I don't just kind of just talk about it in the abstract. I actually teach it to you how to write it, and then I share both my final two versions from the from the school districts. But for the current administrators, whether you're brand new or you've been at the job for a long time. Um, the bottom line is that we we all have beliefs and values and we have we have experience and we have people whispering in our ears and, and telling us things about how to lead and manage. And uh, and if you're really into developing yourself, you're, you're reading as much as you can uh, from book mentors about leadership and management. And what's critically important is to write it down. And why do you need to write it down? Because those of us that are in the field, and my experience has been in two urban centers, uh, low performing that I hope that I think I've put enough structures in place and made significant progress while I was there, um, that uh, there's a lot of noise and you get hit often, you know, mostly figuratively, but sometimes it could be literally. And, uh, and if you don't, if you don't have this belief system, these values, how I'm going to act as a leader written down, then you're going to get lost at times, the noise, right? I mean, like, it. let's use the metaphor, like you're in the water on a boat, and now you're hitting choppy waters. And, 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 your personal theory of action that's written down, it's kind of your true north, right? It's your compass. It keeps you grounded on what's important. I, I just, you know, my boat just got taken away in one direction, but I got to get back on course. And the same thing happens in public education, right? Public education is schools and classrooms and everything that goes into a school system sits in the middle of politics, and whether it's policy politics or real brass knuckles, blood sport politics that I had lived in, in, in Elizabeth particularly, uh, especially in the urban centers, um, you can get distracted a whole lot and you can be dealing with the problem of the day and you can forget why you're there, right? And having a personal theory of action, having it written down, and the, and the key, right, when you go back to the algorithm is don't keep it a secret. Mm 
share it publicly, hand it out, right? Uh, in my case, I have four if statements, right? The fourth, uh, the, the third one is if I do cer certain things, which are organizational strategic elements. In that case, I had the board adopt in both districts an organizational theory of action that gave broad uh, strategic actions that I needed to follow, right? But I created it, had the board, and then I incorporated it into my personal theory of action, but it was policy that I got the board to follow, uh, to adopt, and therefore it gave me strength as a superintendent because I had board policy to support that. And it's, a, it's embedded in my personal theory of action. So if you're a current or a new administrator, putting down what's critically important to you as a leader and then sharing it so that you're held accountable for your actions and your results, I think it's critically important. And I think it, it buys a lot of credibility with your staff, your stakeholders, your parents, your students, when they know what you believe in and what you stand for and why you're there. And, it, and it's all grounded around uh, improving the instructional core and the experience for the students, right? Uh, to the new person, uh, the aspiring person uh, who's either in an ed administration program or is thinking about it, first, I would say, read as much as you can. Uh, and you're going to be inundate, you know, inundate yourself with as much information as you can, books, in for the business world, books for the education world, case studies, learn as much as you can. And when you become an administrator, continue to keep on learning. Um, but as a new person going in, reading and learning and asking questions uh, will help you to start think about what you value. And you can start writing your personal theory of action right now. And as life goes on, as you become an administrator and experience the, the wins and the losses, the, the, the victories and the failures, uh, you can modify it. So the personal theory of action is not written in stone. It, you know, it, it changes over time. And quite frankly, when you read it in my book, which is in Appendix A, the one from Elizabeth and the one from Passaic, you can see that I made a major change in the guiding pr guiding principles uh, from Elizabeth to Passaic. And that was really contextual to what was happening in Passaic that I needed to change my personal theory of action that was that I was applying in Elizabeth to Passaic because the circumstances were quite different. So that's um, what I would say. I don't I hope I hopefully hopefully that helps. Well, it's perfect, right? Because because I think where you get at and where I enjoyed reading the book is you could definitely see what you care about. And you you personally identify those things and making those public it then allows you to change to the context, right? The context doesn't change who you are. It allows you to make the adjustment to what's needed in that context. And 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 I know there's so many other questions I could ask you, but I, I one of the things that I, I was thinking about, because you, you write in the book about leading through vision, leading through expectations, leading through teamwork, leading with skills leading in your community, leading with resilience, and then you conclude with the chapter on leading with love. And, and one of the things that I'm really interested in is you, you have a people-centric view of leadership, 
which which I really appreciated. And maybe this is the last question I get to ask you just because of time, but like help us like kind of get to that place of why a people-centric view of leadership is so essential to then being resilient, developing the skills, doing those other things, right? That does that make sense? It does. Um listen, um you quickly learn whether you have a position with a title or you're a volunteer in a nonprofit or a church and you're given an assignment and, and you're told you're the leader, um, that you, you rarely get things done uh, by yourself. And especially when you're a superintendent of school and depending on the scale, right? I mean, you could be the superintendent of the uh, the different title of the New York City public schools with over a million students, or you can be in New Jersey who loves all their school districts. We have 600 of them, and you could be the chief school administrator and the principal of one school, right? Uh, you're not, it, it, usually at this point, you're no longer in the classroom, but your main job is to improve the instructional core, get students to learn at higher and higher and higher levels every year, and you have to do that through people. And leadership fundamentally, uh, I mean, people can define it in a lot of different ways, but uh, you know, I, I'll lean on one of my favorite book mentors, John Maxwell, where he says leadership is influence, nothing more and nothing less. And really it's, it's about influencing and motivating and inspiring uh, the people in the organization and the people outside the organization, right? Uh, so that is, it, it, you know, if you, if, you, if you don't get anything else, from, I mean, I tell a lot of stories, both personal and professional, and it's all grounded in uh, and mostly in relationships that, that developed uh, some good, some bad, and, uh, and, and there's lessons in all of them. Um, but yeah, I mean, your question about leadership, leadership at its heart, uh, right? Listen, if you weren't leading a group of people, and hopefully you're leading a group of leaders, which makes you even more effective. But if you're leading just uh, followers, then, you know, by definition, you're leading because if you're not leading a group of people, then you're just going out and <laughs> taking a walk by yourself, right? So at its heart, leadership is about relationships with uh, groups of people. And in the context of schools, it's students, parents, staff members. Some of my best relationships were with the custodians and the cafeteria mm -hmm. workers. I, mean, I, I just love being around them when I was leading the schools. So so let's let, let me just have you close up because I'm going to encourage and I'll make connections you know with the podcast with the book you know really to encourage people to dig deep into some of this and really you know like hey what does this mean for me and and some of it is if you take it through like if I was doing it as a school principal like I used to be I would do the the personal theory of action with my entire team and maybe ultimately you know my entire faculty because I think there's a huge part of like, as we get to know, like who we are and why we do the things we do and why we care about the things we do and then communicate those with others. That's where we get to clarify and learn more about ourselves and learn more about the context in which we work. But it, 
right now, it's really hard to be a school leader. And what we've been trying to do in my work and some of my friends, it's like, how do we put the joy back into the work? So maybe last concluding comment. What would you what would you say to encourage the current superintendent, the current school principal, the current dean, the current you know leader in those those places? What would you say to them, you know, as we continue, you know, as we're in the beginning of a school year, but we're kind of entering second quarter in most places now? What would be that encouragement to say, hey, you know what? Here's how you stay joyful and hopeful in this work. Wow. I mean, uh, great question. Tough question. Um, I mean, I'll put the backdrop. Um, you know, I'm two years removed from being in a school district since I retired in 2021. But uh, I was I was knee deep. <laughs> well, actually, probably uh, uh, eyeball deep in, in the COVID-19. So that um, so that backdrop and its effect on student learning uh, has, has has been difficult for, for the school leaders. And then all of a sudden, at the same time, even though people were predicting for a long time there that we were going to be needing million, a million new teachers just to meet the, the demand, uh, that got exacerbated much quicker um, and partly due to economic forces and, uh, you know, lower unemployment and, other opportunities and 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 then also the the pandemic uh, its effects on, on, on teachers. So in that backdrop, uh, and, and kind of just to amplify what you were saying, that there's probably a lot, a hundred other reasons why it's hard to be a school leader and a teacher at this point. But um, I would say, listen, what would bring me, you know, there was a couple of times that in that book that the chapter seven and chapter leading with resilience, leading with love, both those chapters, I cried through them as I wrote them. They were very difficult, very raw, very vulnerable chapters for me. But um, so, but the bottom line is uh, when I was there, the, the joy, the, the time that I got the most joy, the time that I started to cry, the time that my throat would lock up because I was so happy and brought to tears was fundamentally that what we do improves the, improves the lives of children. And if you can always stay grounded on the fact that the joy is in uh, taking children and there are their children, whether they're three years old or they're 19 years old, taking children investing in them and seeing them grow and seeing them become successful. Right. And in my context, right. I had large populations of English language learners and, and large populations of poverty, right. Over 80, 86, 88% in both of those school districts, seeing children achieve at higher levels and learning more that brought joy to me. Uh, the la you know, one example that I'll give uh, towards the, you know, it was uh, we had an equity goal in Passaic, and it was to uh, provide students an education so that when they graduated from high school, they either had a career certification or 15 college credits or both. But I had a larger goal, which was, which was, and I talked about it. We didn't memorialize it in writing, but 
but I kept on talking about it. So I was that a kid would graduate with a high school diploma and an associate's degree. So my first class that graduated with a high school diploma and an associate's degree uh, was the class of 2021. So I retired in April. So I didn't actually get to shake those hands because I wasn't there. But uh, the following year, I think there were about 12. The following year, I think there were about 30 kids that were graduating with that. And um, and then this, the second cycle, the, the great thing was the valedictorian of one of the high schools in Passaic was also the valedictorian of the community college where she got her associate's degree. And uh, so that that those are the things that bring great joy, right? Uh, and especially in my environment, right? When, when kids and parents... Uh, are loving the fact that we're giving them college credits while they're in high school because they know it's going to be expensive for them. And they don't, sometimes they don't have the money. And sometimes given their uh, status in the United States, can't even get uh, you know certain financial aid packages. So the joy is really in remembering why you're there. And it is to improve the lives of children. And if you remember that every day, even though some days you get knocked down, uh, the goal is to get right back up and remember that you're there to improve the lives of children. And that always brings joy to me. Pablo, this is an amazing conversation. Thank you for being an encouragement to me today um, and allowing me to be part of this conversation. I'll connect on the podcast, you know, the notes, your your website, Munoz and Company, and then also the um, the leader's algorithm, the book. And, and those connections. Um, but Pablo, one of the things I'll do is like connect people with you um, because if they need a coach, they need a coach like you, you know, <laughs> in there in leadership. And so I really want to thank you for your time, for your expertise, for your energy. And then just even, even your comments there about what the importance of our work is and, and what brings us the true joy of that work. Eric, thank you so much for having me. Uh, listen, anyone can go onto my website and see the, the resources that uh, I provide uh, as a consultant, but also there are free resources on there that anyone can download and use. Uh, and my telephone number is there. My email number, my email is there. That's Pablo at the Munoz company .com. Anyone can reach out to me. I'd love to talk to anybody and share and, and help. Um, uh, right. Even if I'm not a, a hired consultant, I'd be love to help anyone uh, because I know how tough it can be. And I know how tough it is to find advocates and mentors to help you through this. But uh, Eric, once again, thank you for allowing me to be on your show uh, and for the wonderful questions that you asked. Thank you, Pablo.